Welcome to the Strong Talk Podcast with Tom Rainey and myself, Pete Nelson. The aim of the podcast is to share our candid and uncensored conversations on all things fitness, health, business, and leadership. Through these conversations, we hope you take away a couple things to enhance your life and simply be better. Welcome to the talk. I just keep moving I, I stuff. Probably, I probably just, broke just keep it. twisting things, <laughs> and it'll yeah. it'll work. Yep. Yep. There yep. If I talk close enough, I'll have Food an imprint in Mexico. <clears throat> no. No. <laughs> I love it. Let's just. I'm gonna say this. I do not ever want to talk on a podcast by myself again. Ever. I was just listening. I was to like, it. Rah, 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 rah. Just, you sounded great. I did not. I sounded like I'm. I'm in my office at home. Dogs are running around, annoying Cats me. and dogs. Cats and dogs living together. It was mass hysteria. It, no, like I just, I don't, I don't. And then you start running out, like in your brain, you're getting to the end of whatever you're going to talk about. And you look at the time and you're only four minutes in. And then you're going, oh my God, I have to ramble like a maniac for the next and did, not breathe. I did the exact same thing on mine. No, yours was all very, I felt like you had a script. I didn't. That was the thing. I laid down on my couch and I had that anchor app ready to go, and we just started talking. Oh, you did it on your see. I did it in my office. Yeah, no, I sitting at a desk. I wanted to be as casual as this could be. I had like a mental framework prior, and then it led into yeah. I had nothing, but I just had seen a post on Instagram that infuriated me. Yeah, and so I just ran with it, and then I just from there I just kept started talking. So we, Tom and I, we were talking prior to starting this podcast today about strong talk and we realize that now that we are episode eight that we haven't talked about any strength programming any strength training yet we thought that was a little narcissistic of us so we decided today to go ahead and take a little deep dive and maybe this could be part one of a multi-part series of strength training and how to implement it and i kind of wanted to start off the conversation where uh, i was going to ask you tom if yes. I am walking into a gym for the first time, Shit. how do I build strength? Uh, super simple. Just put some weight on something and move it repetitively. And then over time, every time you come in, progressively either add more weight or more repetitions. That's it. And I love how podcast done. And, and I love how simple that is. But I think that people get up in their head that that there has to be the sexiness to it. Right. Yes. So the dumber the movement, the cooler it is, and people are drawn to dumb shit uh, if you just look at the world right now. But um, no, it, yeah, uh, it's a super simple principle, right? Anybody who's been uh, either in an exercise phys class, exercise science class, even picked up a book, um, super simple, progressive overload, right? We have to progressively overload the system in order to make or in order to create adaptation, Um so that's really the easiest way to do it. Now, the catch is your training age, not necessarily your chronological age, but your training age. Obviously, right. the, the higher your chronological chronological age, you know, generally the greater your training age. But we see it all the time in the environment we're in, where we had a lot of people who are in their forties, fifties, sixties, even, and who have never really lift, lifted weights. And when you say training age, what you're referring to is exactly that, where maybe I am fifty or sixty years old, and this is the first time right. that I have trained right. versus if I'm. You know, you could still be 60 years old, but then have had 30 years of training underneath your belt. Right. 
Right. So a perfect example is me at 45 years old and I walked into a weight room when I'm 13. Uh, you know, I have 30 plus years. My training age is, is over 30 years versus you. You're 26 years old. You started lifting really when we were 19 years old. Right? right. So your training age is seven, eight years. So what happens is the greater your training age, um, the quicker the adaptation. So the, the body responds much quicker in terms of how your, your nervous system adapts to the load that's being put on the body system. So somebody like me, and this is where the idea, and if you read a lot of the, the Russian literature, so to speak, um, even when you talk about like, uh, there's a book called Super Training by a doctor by the name of Mel Sif, who, who's passed on, but he had all these great ideas in there. But the idea is, is that um, when we accommodate to training, all right, or we adapt to training, you need to change the stimulus. Right. So this is where the idea of like in CrossFit or Westside or not only say Westside, but conjugate style training, the idea of constant variance comes in and changing the modality of training um, and you refer- too, too often, too often, to be honest with you. And you're referring to the plateau where let's say somebody finally has started training, they've hit the, the, they've come in, they've progressively overloaded, and now they've hit almost stagnation in their training. And right. Now they have so, to change the stimulus. But the younger the training age... Right. Um, that that adaptation takes it happens quicker. Right. But the the really the neural pathways that are being established take much longer to fry out. So your nervous system stays activated and, and in tune with what you're doing. So one of the worst things, like one of the downsides of, say, a, a, a sport or a, a fitness protocol like CrossFit is this idea of constant variance. When most of the people who walk through the doors of a CrossFit gym, they will have quick adaptation right because um because they're being exposed to a new stimulus right but that adaptation will happen quickly and then it'll stagnate so you see it all the time with people who don't have any strength training they walk into a crossfit gym and because they have no exposure to it they're they're creating a brand new stimulus which is exciting the nervous system muscles are firing in ways they haven't been firing before they're engaged in ways they haven't been engaged before and those adaptations will happen very quick. So you'll see people have 30-pound PRs mm-hmm. and 40-pound PRs, and everybody will market it and promote it. Then after about six to eight months of training, those plateaus will start to slow down a little bit. <clears throat> and that's good. That means the body is starting to become trained, right? So what happens, though, is when that happens and when we start to get better trained and have a greater training age, those adaptations happen slower, but most people, if they're in a young training age, need to stick with the same training for a longer period of time, something called linear periodization, where we stick with the same training modality in terms of the movements. Exercise selection. Exercise, right? Yeah, exercise selection. So we squat every Monday and Thursday. We, we do some type of pressing variation every Tuesday and Friday. And we stick with that pattern for an extended period of time. One of the issues, say, with a CrossFit style of training for somebody who's been at it for a year or two, and we've all heard the stories, right, of people who do CrossFit and they make this great progress in the short term, but in the long term, they end up kind of getting hurt um, or they, they just stagnate. And usually it's because they're not spending enough time doing the same movement to create a, as much of a stimulus needed to continue to make progress. As you get older, you get onto the opposite end of that paradigm where you'll make adaptations very quick and you need to change your stimulus in order to keep making adaptation. A perfect example is somebody like me who was once a 550 pound back squatter, right? 
I could probably get back to that number or close to that number with minimal training. I would squat once a week to get there, Mm -hmm. right? Versus somebody like you who's trying to get to that number, you're going to squat at least twice a week, right? Right. So it's 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 you know it's understanding training age and all the variables that go into it, and it's it's certainly very nuanced. And there's people that that are in and out of it, but like if you just want to get strong. You have to have exposure to the movements, and then you need to progressively overload those movements right. in its simplest terms. And the repeated exposure is is imperative. I think muscle confusion, which is the world's worst term, Ugh, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, muscle confusion and constant uh, uh, variation of exercises almost leads people to failure right. in the long term like you're hitting at. Although, it again, it may be sexy and it keeps things a little bit more fresh for people because sure. I, think, I think that's one of the reasons why CrossFit started implementing the constant variation is because it's always something new, gives you something to look forward to, where in actuality, if we had a set of eight to 12 specific movements that we knew that we were going to hit week in and week out, potentially two to three times a week, and we were able to hit those and actually progress in those in terms of whether it's rep range, so you're going from a 12 rep to an eight rep, so on and so forth, like we did the... Uh, in the last cycle here at Black Flag, it gets people specifically training to become stronger in that specific lift versus trying to almost roll the dice, yeah. assuming that my hang snatch one week and my pull up the next week are going to elicit a greater um, response on my deadlift the following week versus I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to repeatedly expose people to the deadlift over the next eight weeks because I want them to get better at deadlifting. Right. That's a hell of a lot more different than us, again, the hopper method of just simply pulling a movement out. Right. There has to be structure. If you are going to continually vary your program for strength, there has to be a structure to it. In my opinion, the way that we program here at Black Flag is that our strength is not varied. It, and, it is. And, no. and the reason being, again, is that we're trying to get people stronger. So again, it's the repeated move. Uh, it's the repeated exposure to that movement. And then within the conditioning, I'll have the accessory pieces for that movement paired together for people to get their aerobic and anaerobic work in. But again, it's with intention and the variance may come in time domain, may come in intensity, but they'll still get the aerobic benefit because of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, again, using something else from the exercise physiology world, um, you know, there's a very simple principle uh, that allows you to make progress. And it's just, it's a said principle, specific adaptations to impose demands, right? You're not going to get better at squatting unless you squat. Right. Um, to, a, to an extent. Right. Right. Again, the, the, the longer you've been squatting, the faster the adaptation. And it, it follows somewhat of a, um, I don't want to say a cyclical pattern, but it follows like a, a roller coaster pattern, right? Where you'll start squatting and you'll actually make a regression, right? As you get worn out and tired from squatting, then you'll deload a little bit and then you'll go back up the hill and you'll actually over like what they call super compensate where everything's primed. And then you'll come back down and the goal is to be at a brand new baseline. Right. But in order to be able to do that, you still need to load the body and the patterns and the loading patterns that you're going to be doing and the movement patterns you're going to be doing. So even when you talk about like, um, uh, conjugate style training, which is kind of like the premier strength building kind of system that's out there. Right. And there's there's multiple ones. I mean, there's one, they're 531, and there's, there's a bunch of different programs out there. But when you look at them, they are all based off that very simple principle of progressive overload. Like even if you look at max effort days, right? If you're talking about like, and people confuse conjugated method with Westside, 
Westside is sort of taken from a conjugated method. Um, and a conjugated method is a little bit more CrossFit-y, believe it or not, where there's a lot of variation. There's a lot of GPP work. Um, but there is an idea of this idea of max effort. Irregardless of what the movement's going to be, like when you look at a West Side program on their max effort days, their max effort is never the competition lift. So you'll never do like a regular back squat, but it's in a variation. It's a nuance of it. And the idea is they try and hit weaknesses along mm -hmm. the way, like up and down the chain. Mm -hmm. For somebody who's just looking to build requisite strength, I think you need to have some, uh, some max effort work. Um, but it's got to be fit into the, the schedule or the calendar of training where it makes sense. And again, if you have a younger training age, most of us, most people would benefit greatly from just a linear periodized program, to, like you were saying before. You know, this week we're doing sets of 10, next week we're doing sets of eight, sixes, fours, twos, and then you build to a half. Or even in the reverse of the percentages, you know, building from the 60 to 70, 70 to 80, exactly. so on and so, so forth. Right, so the, the higher the volume, usually the lower in the intensity, Correct. right? So when we're talking about volumes and intensities, volumes and number of reps, intensity is the weight or the percentage of the weight uh, of the one rep max weight that we're using. So generally as volume decreases, intensity increases. So when we get to our sense of two, right, the weight should be much heavier than the weights we're doing for sets of 10. Right. So I'm... I don't know, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. No, I love it. And what we see quite a bit is that we have such a wide ability and training age range here underneath yeah. our walls. Yeah. And when you look at the the core of it, when we have somebody who has never trained before, them just doing an air squat uh, and then being able to build on range of motion, build on stability, and build on the motor control of... Yeah of not just being able to maintain correct knee positioning, making sure that we're not collapsing the arch, all those things add up to being able to progress in weight. Yeah. And Tom, like he was, like he said off in the first part of this podcast is just start off with a little bit of weight and then repeatedly over time, yep. add a little bit more, add a little more. And everybody's going to be at a different baseline, like you said. And so for us long-term, when I see somebody, for example, who might be 60 years old, them doing simply a an air squat or an empty barbell back squat and them being able to improve upon the range of motion and the quality of their squat without any sort of big compensation, that's them getting stronger straight up yeah. because now they're able to walk uh, or be, be able to go home later that day and simply sit down on the couch without any knee pain. And I think that that's the most rewarding part of it all. But it then you look at the opposite, opposite end of the spectrum, that same class or that, that same uh, training session, we might have somebody who might be 30 years old who might squat 405 pounds. And how do we be able to get them underneath the same model and the same class and the same structure to be able to continue to progress? And like you said, I think that if we structure the programming correctly and linearly for the majority of people, say 90, 95% of people, maybe even a higher percentage of that, the linear progression is the best way to go because, again, it's the repeated exposure of it. And it allows us to be able to, over time, uh, get that person, uh, say, again, that person who's squatting 405, to where if we were to hit three weeks on of higher intensity, higher volume work, deload the fourth, hit that a few times, I guarantee you as long as they're, as long as they're healthy and they prioritize their sleep and recovery and their mm -hmm. nutrition, they'll probably go ahead and set a, a new PR if we were to go ahead and test after 12 to 16 weeks of just a good cycle without having to deep uh, take a deep dive into all this constant variation that everybody's trying to seek after. Agreed, agreed. And I think too, like intensity has to be earned, 
right? Like hundred percent. You, you know, people who come off the street and have no squatting, they, you know, no no uh, history of squatting or loading their body. I mean, they really should not be lifting weights initially, right? Mm-hmm. We got to teach them, like you were saying, the, the movement patterning because patterning is the key. We know that if there's faulty pattern. There's compensations being created in order to hit positions, to hit ranges of motion. As soon as you add load to those, it's a recipe for disaster. You do that chronically, and that's what adds to, you know, that's what leads to osteoarthritis in your knees and your hips and your ankles and your shoulders is by creating these compensations. So I think that um, oftentimes, more often than not, a trainer or a coach uh, or a strength and conditioning coach, they have a tendency to, to add load or intensity way too quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, you need to go through an air squat progression. I think from there, then you need to progress into say a goblet squat progression right. and then, and then build from there. If the patterning is on point, then we can add a barbell on somebody's shoulders and say, all right, now you, now you're taking squat. But then too, along the same lines is this idea that we, um, everybody just assumes that everybody should squat the same way. Right. And don't 100%. take anthropometrics or body segment length or any of those types of things into account. Um, you know, and I, I see it quite a bit with high school athletes. And I know you work with some high school athletes now, too. And you're going to see just all these massive variations because some of these kids are growing. This kid's four inches taller than he was six months ago. You know, all right. these different things. Um, so, yeah, I think intensity has to be earned. Um and intensity in terms of loading. And I think that's one of the things that we we all as coaches kind of miss out on, right? Sometimes we have a tendency to kind of push people maybe a little bit quicker than we should. But yeah, I agree with you, man. I mean, the simplest way to get stronger is, is progressive overload with some, as you get older, with some nuanced things coming in there. Really, at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, the nervous system and getting the nervous system to figure out a way how to fire more efficiently, right? Your central nervous system and your peripheral um, nervous system and back and forth. It's, it's how efficient can we make the signaling from the brain to the limbs and then back. Right. And so when we, when we do the same thing too much for too long, that signal gets slow, gets cobwebs on it, slows down. It's Mm -hmm. nowhere near as efficient. So how do we, how do we change that? Or how do we get it excited again? We change the stimulus by changing the movement pattern, changing the number of repetitions we're doing or changing the load that we're using. Or changing the velocity of movement, which, you know, you had programmed the other day, right? Right. Doing some speed work. And I was, remember, I was talking to class and I was like, hey guys, like, this is why we're doing this. And of course, it's glazed look and nobody cares. But, you know, I think it's an important aspect of training. There's a lot of emphasis on the force aspect of training, but not a lot of emphasis on the velocity aspect of training. Mm -hmm. And understanding that there's both a force, uh, force component and a velocity component to lifting weights. And so the more force we can exert and then the faster we can do it, the stronger we're going to be ultimately, right? Right, right. Um, and that's like, again, if you look at a West Side methodology, they believe very strongly in that and obviously have had a lot of success in doing what they're doing. Um, although, you know, there's arguments to be made about, you know, uh, the equipment that they use or, you know, the, the stuff that they take. But Right. So. And you, I guess you could use me as an example about – about 50 days ago now or so, I when I finished this 100-mile race, that week prior, I had went for a heavy one-rep max in, in class. And at that point, I was probably squatting once a week and hitting one upper body day a yeah. week. And it's so, like you said, if if you are exposed to it enough, 
and you train to it enough and you spin the said print, use the said principle, you know, again, the specific adaptation to impose demands at that point, man, I was running 50, 60 mile weeks. And then all of a sudden I, you, you take that away. Tom's been programming for me. And in that time, you, you got me exposed to back squatting heavier again, mm-hmm. uh, front squatting, hitting more posterior work, hitting all the accessory work needed. And it's amazing how quickly the adaptation can occur yeah. if you just simply expose yourself to it. Yeah. And, you know, for insight, I barely hit a 385 pound back squat the week prior to that race. And then about a month later, after all the training that we had hit, or maybe uh, five weeks later, five weeks, yeah. I hit a 435 pound back squat. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if you think about the recovery aspect just from that race, I'm assuming that my nervous system and joints are probably still recovering. Still recovering, yeah. Still sure. recovering from sure. that. But I'm still able to make progression and still able to make adaptation to the training that we have by just simply the repeated exposure of it. And I know sure. I keep saying exposure, but that's what it is, is the consistency of you hitting your core work enough to be able to elicit the demand. Yeah. The and adaptation you want. Or absolutely. You want. And there's, there's a lot, you know, there's other factors that go down, go into it. You know, certainly, um, you know, if you, if you probably took a muscle biopsy and did a cross-sectional makeup of what your muscle fibers look like, you probably have a most likely a perfect blend of, you know, slow twitch fibers, you know, type 2A, fast twitch, and type 2B. Like you, you are a unique athlete in the sense that you can go out and you can run 10 miles and then you can come in and clean and jerk 345 and do Fran in two and a half or two minutes and 10 seconds, right? That, that is a unique blend of musculature that allows you to be able to do that. Your VO2 max is probably off the charts, right? Whereas somebody, um, you know, whose genetic background has a higher makeup of slow twitch fibers, um, they're going to be able to go out and run 10 miles, but they're going to struggle getting stronger. So, um, and let, vice versa, so right? Let's Not go, to say that you can't train it. Right. You certainly can, but you'll never hit the, uh, the, the maximum uh, of your potential that way. This podcast is powered by Black Flag Athletics, home of Black Flag Fitness, Black Flag Competes, and Black Flag Remote Programming. Everything and anything you would want for your fitness needs, Black Flag is the place for it. You can check us out, find any information you want at blackflagfam.com. That's blackflagfam.com. So let's let's take a quick dive into that then. When we talked about training age earlier, I guess a lot of our talk so far has been geared towards the person who who might have a younger training age. Let's start taking the deep dive the opposite way. Let's say we have somebody who's a higher training age aerobically who might be the 5K runner who's 40, 45 years old and has 20 years of running experience. And now uh, they might have a little bit of strength training background. How do we get them stronger or vice versa? Somebody who has uh, a, a, who's predominantly slow twitch but has been continually hitting strength for years and years and years. How do I get them to be able to progress? Yeah, so back in the day, it used to be believed what you had was what you had, right? So you you would, um, you know, and you could train each, right? Um, and get, make those fibers more efficient at doing what they're supposed to do. Now, most of the stuff out there is saying, hey, look, we can convert fast twitch to slow twitch and slow twitch to fast twitch. So, you know, you can, you can kind of merge some of those muscle fibers and get them to do um, some things that we didn't think that they would be capable of doing. So if I had somebody who was a distance runner, um, 
you know, and I wanted or they wanted to get stronger, say, you know, the first thing would be mobility, right? Notoriously, people who do, do a lot of distance work, distance work have very poor mobility, tight ankles, tight Achilles, um, their Hip hips flexors. are usually, yep. yeah, their hips are usually messed up. So that would be the first thing is you probably have to take them probably through six weeks of, hey, we have to increase mobility in these ranges of motion. Um, and then from there, to your point, it's simple progressive overload. It's just putting them, you know, and it's like if their goal wants to be, if they want to be a better runner, right? Um, and there's, there's metabolic components as well. We'll make, we'll make their energy systems more efficient, right? At, at exerting force or exerting power when they run. So, you know, and absorbing power. So again, they become more efficient. More efficiency means uh, less energy expenditure so they can run stronger, longer. Um, <clears throat> but real simple, man, like one day would be a bilateral. So it'd be a back squat, front squat, something like that, a deadlift. And when Tom talks bilateral, he's, he's talking two feet or, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Sorry. For, for both legs at the same time. Yeah, and, and then and then one would mimic a unilateral single leg, so lunging pattern, stuff like that. Um, but literally just here's six weeks. We progressively decrease the rep scheme as we increase the weight. Then we take a week off. Then we go back, do the same thing over again for six weeks, but now all the weights are going to be heavier. Right. Right. And then take a week off and all the weights are going to be heavier. So you, you have the same movements, but you're changing the stimulus in terms of what the intensities are that you're putting at the athlete. But that, I mean, that's, you know, but the biggest thing is just consistency. You know, just consistently loading and overloading the body will, will create the adaptation. Most people, um, the greatest program in the world, Jimmy, you know what it is? You don't know what the greatest, the greatest strength program in the world? The one that you're not doing. That's right. The one that you're not doing. Okay. So again, going all the way back to how we started, you see some bullshit on Instagram um, of somebody doing a... 90 degree eccentric isometric with oscillating, you know, plates on the bar. I don't know why you have to call it Joel Seidman like this. I'm, I'm not naming any names, but like for, but you got some personal trainer who is then loading up their 55 year old client who doesn't know how to squat in a pair of, uh, you know, pillow running shoes. And now it's a recipe for disaster and you're doing a massive disservice to that person. And you're doing a massive disservice to highly qualified trainers out there because now that person you work with thinks that they have to do, you know, uh, oscillating back squats with kettlebells hanging off the bar in order to make progress. So it becomes this slippery slope of bullshit and it just perpetuates bullshit and bullshit and bullshit. When the reality is, if you can just stay consistent with the program that you're doing, I promise you that you'll see significant success. And if you hit a point where you've been doing it for two, three, four years, and now you're starting to legitimately regress or stagnate, that's the time to add in some, you know, band bell back squats or an earthquake bar or, or those types of things. It is not we squat for two weeks and then we start adding in all of this bullshit. Um, I know me as a programmer, like when I have somebody who stagnates or even in a deload, because a deload, yeah, you're trying to bring down the volume of work, but you're also trying to change the stimulus for the people. So that's the week where I'll add some band bell work mm -hmm. and just for the, you know, just to get them to have a different stimulus. So when I go back to back squatting again, it's not so ingrained. But this idea that we just keep putting, I don't know, all of these different things out there. And it's a crazy, like, you know, if you listen to the last podcast, it is a crazy fitness world out there, man. Everything you see on Instagram, it's either somebody doing some stupid shit or it's uh, some type of product that's just being pushed right. on you, right? 
when the reality of it is, is you need a kettlebell, you need a dumbbell, you need a barbell, and you can survive pretty good for the rest of your life. Um, And again, staying with just kind of foundational movements, as long as you're consistent, for the most part, you'll continue to make progress. Sorry. I want to end this podcast on that because I think on part two of this, let's start talking about rep ranges, specific volumes and intensities for our athletes who are trying to get stronger and what minimum effective dose means to that individual. Because a minimum effective dose is the key. Is, is absolutely huge. And so many programs out there, and especially the younger trainer who may not know what a specific rep range and set range that they need for their client, they could be doing much more harm than good if they don't realize and utilize the resources and literature out there to be able to get their clients to progress in a safe way, in a way that allows them to be able to build on their quality of life. Yeah. So that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Strong Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and follow on iTunes and Spotify, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Strong Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. This allows us to share our conversations with more people and positively influence our fitness communities. If there are any topics you want to hear from us, drop us a message on Instagram at Coach Tom Rini, that's R-I-N-I, or at Peter Nelson II, and we could take a deep dive. Again, thank you for listening and continue to be better.